Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Um, I am really excited about today, um, partly because I get a day off. Um, but actually, even better than that, um, we have with us some very special guests. Mike and, Mike and Jody Bunn um, with Mercy Air Brazil are with us, and, and they are the very first um, missionaries that we ever partnered with, and, and they have a real special place in my heart because they were going out uh, down to Brazil at the, about the same time that we were starting Northgate, just about 20 years ago, and so we were just kind of starting our ministries at the same time, so they've always just kind of had this real special place in my own heart uh, as we've partnered with them over the year. Now, back then, um, what, what, what Mike does now, and he'll tell you a little bit more about it, but he flies a... Uh, um, a pontoon plane, and he lands on the crookedest um, runway you can possibly imagine, the Amazon River, okay? And um, back then, they were just, they, were, they didn't have a plane. They were like we were, you know, we were starting a church, but we didn't have a church. Um, they were going to be, you know, he's going to be a bush pilot, but he didn't have a plane. And back then, what they were doing was just, they were, set, they were getting people to sponsor and buy parts of a plane. So they literally put their plane together, part by part, piece by piece, and we had a little bit of part in that. So, um, I'm just really pleased to have them with us this morning. So I'm going to introduce Mike, and he'll introduce his wife, Jody. Um, would you just give him a really warm Northgate welcome as they come, please? Mike? Thank you. I don't know if I'm supposed to come up that way, but I did. Anyways, um, it's been a while since we've been here, and I'll introduce ourselves again. And like Pastor said, it was a long time ago. I know Benjamin was one year old when we went to Brazil. And you guys were somewhere down there on the waterfront in a little uh, business park or something like that. And it, and it was, that's a challenge to start a new church. But you guys have grown and that's exciting to see. Anyways, I'm Mike. My wife, Jody is right there. And then our five kids, Benjamin, Mika, Megan, Matthias, and Lucas. And I get them mixed up all the time. <laughs> but um, most of them were born in Brazil. Anyways, what, we, what we've been doing these past 16, 17 years is we've been in Brazil and for a portion of that time, we were building an airplane, and I was serving them with Wycliffe Bible translators, helping them out. But we've, we've now been flying this float plane and a land plane into some of their most remote uh, Amazon tribes um, in Brazil. And like Pastor said, I do land on the Amazon, but landing on the Amazon is actually quite easy because it's so large, you can land sideways across it. It's about two miles wide in places. But we land on tributaries of the Amazon where these tribes are hidden away, and we service those areas with flights for the missionaries and for the Indians. And it's been an exciting time. It's been frustrating, just like anything. Like planting a church, you have your ups and downs, you have your difficult years, you have your difficult days, you have your difficult nearly decades at times, too. But um, I'd like to tell you guys a story, just a testimony because we always like to get people excited about what's going on in missions around the world. And these stories you could multiply many times over from the Middle East to Brazil. And so just so you guys are excited about what God, God is doing. As in the Middle East, in Brazil, missions is a little bit frowned upon if you're working with tribal people. So the government has placed some serious restrictions on the work with tribes. They believe that you have your own religion. Nobody should come and tell you, a new one or tell you a new way, or in our case, the way. And so many of our missionaries have been persecuted by, by the government. And so I have a really good friend named Mamika. He's a Brazilian, 
he started working with the Yanomami tribe, which is a very famous tribe that's scattered through Brazil and Venezuela and portions of Colombia. And he started, before I got to Brazil, he was working there. So at least 20 years he's been working with the Yanomami. He was single for many of those years. He got married in the past six years. And so he and his wife were in the village working up in the north part of Brazil. And they also get there by land plane, by a missionary airplane that takes them in, about a two-hour flight from Boa Vista. And he was there working, and all of a sudden he heard that, you know, that, that sound of the helicopter, thump, 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 and he knew that the military was coming. Typically that's not a big deal because Mimika actually trains the, the military, gives them jungle training on how to survive in the jungle, how to hunt, how to call animals, how to do all that stuff. But this time when the helicopter landed, it disgorged a bunch of guys in black suits. And typically military don't wear black suits. They wear green, greens and camouflage. And so this was a federal police team. And they came out of the helicopter with their machine guns, grabbed Mimika and threw him in the helicopter and took him to Boa Vista. Left his wife and kids there crying in the village with uh, no idea what had happened. So Mimika got back to his town and they, they, they took him to his house and began tearing through his house telling him that he was accused of gun running and gold mining. And, and what it was was he was being persecuted by a politician in the area who wanted to do some, not gun running, but gold mining in the reserve. And so they found one old shotgun shell in his house and put him in prison. He got out of prison, got his wife out of the village, and was, was asked, asked nicely to leave. And so he came to our mission base for a time of refreshing and renewal, and we prayed over him a lot. And then he made a subsequent trip back to the village to check on the Yanomami to see how they were doing. The Yanomami are a cannibal tribe, um, not in the sense that they kill you and eat you, but when you die and your grandma, they burn you, and then they eat your ashes. So they're a cannibal in, a, in sort of a, a type of a form. And the, but they're very violent. They attack each other in other villages, and uh, they're very... Uh, resistant people, but Mamika had made some inroads with the gospel, and a number of people had gotten saved, but a lot of them had also backslidden and uh, not shown any real firmness in their faith. And so when Mamika got back to the village, he was sort of worried. He'd been gone for six months. What had happened to the people? And he heard a really great testimony from the Yanomami village there that he works in, that they were traveling downriver to the next village, and they do this by canoe, and if any of you have seen, like, we've got a little canoe there on the table. And those canoes look the same, but they're obviously a lot bigger, you know. And uh, they, they put whole families in them. And typically about this much wood sticks up out of the water when the canoe's loaded. So you just see them sunk in the water. And they were going down the river, and they came to the rapids, which you have to pass. And it's about a half mile of rapids, some pretty serious rapids. And as they went through the rapids, one canoe with a, a family and a little baby, a little, I'd say about a two-year-old, they hit a rock, and the canoe flipped over, and everybody went into the water, lost all their goods, and down the rapids they're going, and the mother's screaming, where's my baby? The baby disappeared. They got out to the, the shallow areas of the, of the, you know, where the river sort of spreads out again, finally, and smooths out. Everybody's swimming around looking for this body of the baby, and all of a sudden the baby pops up out of the water with a handful of arrows, and took his first breath of air, no water in his lungs or anything after a half mile of rapids. And that mother began praising Jesus and turned her life back to, back to God because she had been backslidden and she saw a miracle 
of grace that God had done for her, saving her child, and then began preaching to the whole village. And they began doing Bible studies, and they had been going out to neighboring villages preaching the gospel in Mimika's absence. So he's very encouraged that even though the federal police and the machine guns and the weeping family and getting kicked out of the village happened, God continued to work with the Yanomami tribe. So Jody and I are on furlough right now, and I'm going to introduce her right now. You can come on up. We're going to be in the United States for this coming year, um, mostly on the East Coast. We'll do a little traveling and speaking, but I'll let her uh, share a message also and try and encourage you all in missions. Morning. My name is Jody, like Mike said. Um, when Mimika got back to the Yanomami land in December, he'd been out for almost a year, and they had a baptism. They baptized 120 people. He said that he knew about 20 of them. Isn't that amazing? So the church is just taken off, just taken off. These guys are really cool, too. The Yanomamo, if you look them up online in Spanish, it's with an O at the end and Portuguese with an I. And they're just, you know, they're real Amazon, Indian. So when they come to our, our conferences, we hold Bible conferences and stuff like that on the YWAM base. There they are. You know, they paint themselves. They're wearing the little skirts, you know, and, and chanting. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's... it's um, National Geographic meets Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> it's a good thing to see. We love it. Um, this morning, we want to dig into the Bible a little bit, too, with you guys, and we're going to look at Luke 10. That's page 1027 in your pew Bible, if you want to use one of those. And Luke 10 is, um, Luke 10 is this amazing passage. Luke was a doctor, a physician, that researched the life of Christ and the beginning of the church, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, and um, because he was just really organized, scientific guy, and he needed the facts set out in order. He interviewed eyewitnesses, and, and he got it. And this story, only Luke tells us, none of the, the other Gospel writers. I think it's cool. I also think that it's cool that Luke wrote the book Acts, to tell us about the beginning of the church, the birth of the church. And in the book of Acts is when we first see the gospel of the kingdom being really proclaimed to the Gentiles, to the nations. Now, I don't know about you guys, but we're not mostly Jewish. Mike has a little bit of Jewish from his family, but we're mostly Gentile. And I'm excited that somebody figured out that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just for the Jewish tribe, but it's for us other tribes too, right? Good news. And so in this passage, we catch a little glimpse of Jesus Christ already beginning to teach his disciples, his followers, about missions. So in Luke 10, I'm going to read it fast, starting at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them, two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. All right. We're going to tear this passage apart a little bit 
and, um, and see some of the details of what Christ told his disciples. Now, I told you this story is only presented here in the Gospel of Luke, but I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, right? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. That's because Jesus did another missions trip with his 12 disciples. If you flip your Bible back one page, you'll see that in Luke 9, Jesus sends out his 12 Now, the reason I want you to flip back is because the first couple of words there in Luke 10 are after this. These little words, you know, they're connectors, right? When you do English, you learn to do these little smooth transitions and stuff, but they mean something. You got to pay attention to these little things. After what? What is Jesus talking about after this? So I flip back to see what this is after, right? And in Luke 10, I mean Luke 9, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples These are them, the big guys. We know these guys. We know them by name. We know a little bit about their lives, right? They're big stuff. Jesus has chosen them to be his special followers. And he sends them out on a missions trip in um, Galilee. This is Jesus' home region and and a lot of the disciples, too. They're simple guys. They're all different. You know, they got all different um, careers and jobs and stuff, but they're mostly simple guys. And um, Jesus sends them out in their own region to do missions work, and out they go. And there's some responses that we see to that, right? We see, as you follow through here, Jesus reveals himself in, in uh, the transfiguration at about 28. He shows him his holy self to his disciples, so they see that there's something amazing about this Jesus, right? He heals a boy with an evil spirit. Now, let's pay attention to this one. In... Verse 37, I'm in chapter 9 still. Jesus comes down from the mountain of transfiguration. He's up there just with his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And when he comes down, there's this craziness going on down at the bottom of the mountain. His other disciples are there. And there's a dad, and there's a crazy guy, and there's a bunch of people watching, right? And the dad's like, my son's got an evil spirit, and he's always trying to commit suicide. I asked your disciples to help, but they couldn't do a thing. Do you remember that story? And Jesus said, okay, you guys have so little faith. How long am I going to have to put up with this? So right here, the disciples show us a total lack of power, a lack of faith, right? Here's this guy. He's demon-possessed. And they can't do a thing about it. Jesus casts the demon out, and he's set free. But the disciples show a lack of power. As we keep on going, in verse 46, do you see what that starts out with? Read the first couple of words there in verse 46, chapter 9, 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them was going to be the greatest. What? No, no, I, I think I'm closer to Jesus. I'm his main guy. Right? The other's like, oh, no, uh-uh. On that trip, that he took me. You know, you weren't even there. And once again, the disciples show a lack of unity, right? They're grubbing for power instead of really drawing together. Now, Jesus knows this is about four months before his death. He's about to leave Galilee, his home region, for the last time. He's on his way to Jerusalem to give his life. And here his disciples are arguing about who's... Who's the greatest? It's crazy. All right, so move on. Then he goes, he approaches the region of Samaria. Now, Samaria is like this region right in the middle of Israel. The Samaritans were descendants of Israelites that had been taken 
some 400 years ago into captivity in Assyria and intermarried with other races. For the Jewish tribe, this was really unacceptable. And they didn't just become multiracial, but they also, because they were rejected by the pure Jews, then they also went kind of crazy with the religion, with their faith. They're like, okay, well, forget it. You don't like us. We don't like you. We're not going to Jerusalem. We're not going to worship there anymore. The temple, we don't care. We're going to do our own thing. And, you know, we only really believe in some of those Ten Commandments. And they just created this whole Jewish cult And um, so the Jewish people, John says it real clearly, the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Now, unfortunately, Samaria, the region, was right in between Galilee, up on the north, and Jerusalem, their holy city. And they had to go four times a year to Jerusalem for festivals. So what would they do? They would do this 150-mile round-trip hike to avoid Samaria. It's like you're in Northern California, you want to go to Seattle, but you will not go through Oregon. (laughs) Right? Because those people in Oregon, no way. You could get corrupted just by being there. And that's what they thought. They thought it was unclean. Now the Samaritans, of course, went extreme. They just didn't even obey the dietary laws anymore. They were raising pork right? Do you remember that miracle about the demon-possessed man? The demons go out into... What were those, that herd of pork doing there? They were raising pork. So they, they got real crazy. And from Galilee, Jesus, instead of taking the big loop around, which they usually did, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, up because it's up on the mountain. It was actually south. But we're going south up the hill to Jerusalem, And we're going through Samaria. And um, disciples are like, okay. So they go into Samaria, and in verse 51 through 55, they go into a Samaritan village, they preach the gospel of the kingdom, and the Samaritans reject them. They don't want to hear it. So what do Jesus' number one guys, the cream of the crop, what do they do? They say, Jesus... Should we call down fire from heaven and burn them? I'm serious. This is their reaction. Kill them all. They, they rejected us. And they're Samaritans. Who even cares? So they showed a total lack of compassion. Right? They didn't get it. They still didn't get it. That Jesus liked Samaritans too. He didn't care that they were multiracial. He didn't care that they had other faiths. They were waiting for the kingdom too. They didn't get it. So then, last thing that we see is this funny conversation where there's a bunch of guys that come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. Uh, we don't stay in nice hotels, um, but, but I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go take care of some stuff. My family, i got to wrap things up. And Jesus says, you know what? Follow me if you're committed, because that's what I really want to see. I want to see 100% commitment. I was impressed by the song that we sang this morning when we're singing, Lord, you are my king. I was thinking, what? What is that? I have no personal experience with the king, right? We're real big on democracy. A king is like unquestioned authority. A king is radical obedience, total surrender. 
And these guys were like, well, you know, I kind of want to follow you, Lord. And Jesus says, yeah, I want commitment. That's, that's really important to me, to my kingdom. So after the disciples have shown lack of power with the demon thing, lack of unity with the whole argument, right? A lack of compassion for the Samaritans and their needs for a savior, and a lack of commitment, Jesus has this great idea. I know what I'm going to do. We're going to have a missions trip. <laughs> this is so not the strategy I would have chosen, right, for these losers. It makes me crazy. And the Lord, and the Lord then, in verse 10, after this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, I love these 72. What are their names? I don't know. We have no idea who these guys are. Women. Guys, women. There were women in that group that followed Jesus too. We have no idea. They were just lay people in church language. Right? They were not the guys that have their names printed on the back of the bulletin. (laughs) Not them. Not the people that wear the fancy invisible mics. Right? They were the people that hold down the pews. They were the lay people. We never learn their names. But these 72 are the first to do a successful cross-cultural missions trip. Jesus said, you know what? I know what's good for what ails you. Short-term missions. It is. And off he sends them. Okay, he calls these 72 others. He sent them two by two. He sent them ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. There's amazing instruction in these verses here, and I'm not going to get into it. When you're ready to go into a short-term missions trip, study these verses phrase by phrase really slowly, okay? Because there's awesome stuff here, very good instruction. But the, the way that I know that is very cross-cultural is because twice Jesus says, and by the way, eat their funky food. That's really important, right? If it was the same stuff they were used to eating, he would not have had to say that. And yes, you are going to stay in their homes, right? Now, I know you guys know that we have amazing funky food stories, right? My personal favorite was the raw turtle egg on the banks of the river. And we never make the face. We always keep the pleasant face. And we use the code word interesting. (laughs) Okay? And you keep in mind that when they serve you the funky food, what they're actually offering you is friendship. They're giving you their best. They're giving you friendship. Reject it. You've rejected them. That's not cool. Right? Just go for it. Put it in. Swallow it. You can do it. You can eat anything. It's all a matter of your mindset. Put it in and pray, Lord, keep it down. (laughs) It will happen. It'll be great. So that's what happened with the raw turtle's egg. Yay. So they go out. They do this. They stay in the people's homes. He he tells them, don't chit-chat on the roads. Get to those cities. We're on a limited time. He knows he only has four months. There's an urgency here, right? Get there. Don't spend a lot of time on the road. Don't hang out with... Don't spend time bopping from house to house. We want you to proclaim to the city that the kingdom of God is near. Their sermon included two phrases. I want you to repeat them after me, okay? Peace to this home. 
That's it. And that would decide if that was going to be a family of peace that would receive them or not, if that family was going to be open or not. And the sermon on the streets was, the kingdom of God is coming. That's it. That's all they had to know. They didn't have to go to seminary. They didn't have to practice fancy sermons. They just had to do that. Bring peace to the home they were in and tell people, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. They also were meeting the needs of the people. They were healing. And um, estimates uh, from the research that I did says that about one in four had severe illness. Sickness was a serious problem. Health care was not real available there. And so this was the felt need of the people. Every home had a sick person, at least one, every home. So he said, go in there and help. Go in there and heal. And I don't know if there was a special dispensation for them to miraculously heal at this time or if they just did what we all do, pray for the sick, and sometimes they get healed and sometimes they don't, but they know you care, you know? And, um, but anyway, they went, they did it. And then look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Lord. And then he carries on in praise and worships the Lord, actually worships God for what God's done. Um, What I want you to see is the difference in these guys when they come back from this trip. Can you see a difference here? First of all, think about the power thing. Remember how powerless they were with that one little demon-possessed guy? And now it's like even the demons obeyed us. It was amazing. Yeah. You obeyed? You stepped out, stepped out of your comfort zone. You did what I asked you to do. You took it to where the people are at, right? In their homes, in their space, in their world. And there's power. The power of God's there. You just got to plug into it. And that's what they dis- the disciples experienced. They're like, Lord, blew us away. There were, were signs. It was amazing. Jesus does this great debrief thing with them, you know? And they're, they're going, Wow. And the Lord's like, yeah, it's power. And then Jesus says something weird there, right? He saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't know if, I don't know if this is like a eschatology, if at this exact moment in time something happened in linear history. I, I, don't, I don't know all of that. But I do know that God is showing us an increase in victory. When his kingdom goes up, you know who goes down, right? And that's what we want to see. Kingdom of darkness falling because the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. That's good news. That's victory. All right, what else do we see these guys have? They increased power. They have increased victory. Oh, yeah, I missed it. In 17, in 17, the 72 returned with joy. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I got to tell you, if you're not stepping out, you are missing the biggest joy. It is so fulfilling, so exciting to be used by God for his kingdom. There's nothing like it. Have you ever had that? You, you have this conversation on a bus or with a work friend. You know, they're going through a hard time. And you say, you know what? I'm just going to pray with you about that because 
I used to struggle a lot with problems in my marriage, and I've learned to turn that over to God, and he's, he's doing amazing things. And you walk away from that, and you go, wow, that was God. And I didn't blow it. You know, I, I obeyed, and God used me, and I think, that, I think that went exactly the way God wanted. Have you had that experience? Yeah. You should. We should be having that regularly. Right? And the gospels, the, the, the apostles, as they're used by the Holy Spirit, they are filled with joy. This is what we were created for, people. This is why we exist. Is to lift his kingdom higher. This is our, our purpose, our destiny. Right? So they're filled with joy. They're filled with power. They have victory as Jesus sees Satan defeated, as the disciples step out in obedience. Jesus also gives them authority over demons in verse 17, Satan in verse 18, snakes and scorpions in verse 19, all the power of the enemy. Um, Jesus makes it clear that there's a special protection when we are in God's will. Now, I I don't say that like as a magic formula to say nothing bad will ever happen to you because you're serving Jesus, okay? Like I raised my kids in the Amazon, and so people ask, well, there's, isn't there malaria? Yeah, there's malaria. What about snakes? We got snakes. (laughs) There's big things that eat you in those rivers, you know, and and the piranhas and the alligators, and, and we have, we love the jungle, especially this last term as my kids have gotten older and they've just gotten out there and captured everything you could imagine and taken pictures of most of it. It's on our Facebook. You can find it there. But um, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been awesome. It's been exciting to live in the center of God's will for us as a family. Now, does that mean that I haven't been worried? I've been worried. Mika went out on a six week trip by small plane, then by canoe. They were going to be way up in the Mastanawa village, um, out of reach for four weeks. Then they were going to hop to a small town. There would be a phone. They would call us and say, we're still alive. And then back they'd go again. And, um, you know, she was with two other single girls. It was, a, it was an amazing trip. It was life-changing for her. And I was praying. I'm, like, I'm a mommy. And she was 13 the first time she did it, and 14 the second time. And And these things make us a little nervous. And then we just turn it over to the Lord and say, Hey, God, send your will. We prayed. We feel like this is what God has for her right now. We're going to release that. We want to be in the center of his will. That's the safest place to be right here. Palm of his hand. Right? So he gives them safety. This supernatural safety while they are walking in obedience. Even in the midst of harmful things, right? Okay, in verse 20, Christ makes it clear that what's most amazing is not the signs and wonders, it's not the results, but it's what Christ does in us as we step out in obedience. He says, man, you know, that's all so cool. I'm so excited about what you guys did. And, you know, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You, I rescued you. That's a huge miracle, right? Think about this. I'm, I'm the biggest miracle in this room. You're the biggest miracle on your missions trip. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. Rejoice that you 
you have salvation. And I love this last one. This, I'm going to close with this. In verse 21, at this time, Jesus, full of? Full of joy. Full of joy by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is so blessed, so excited. He loves it when we step out and obey him. He loves it. That just filled Jesus' heart with joy. Isn't that a cool thought? I like that thought. Yeah. So I just want to challenge you this morning. Um, Lessons for us. Jesus at this time has a huge sense of urgency. He tells his disciples, get on it. Two by two, 36 teams, one to every village. Move fast. Don't chit-chat on the way. You'll get sucked into some long hospitality thing because we got a job to do. And Jesus immediately followed after them, and he went to each of those villages. There was a sense of urgency. Hindsight, we can see why he was running out of time. This was his last trip through Samaria, last chance to touch them with his, with his physical life, right? And um, I think that we need a greater sense of urgency. Um, I think that one thing that has happened in modern American church is this phenomenon known as friendship evangelism, which was a good step getting away from sort of churchy, preachy kinds of um, outreach, you know, stand on the street corner kinds of things. But I think that we've kind of swung to an extreme where friendship evangelism is lots of friendship and not so much evangelism. And we need to make sure that friendship evangelism is evangelism, right? Because you can be an amazing friend to that person, and in one moment, they can be taken from you. And if you haven't shared, you will live with that regret. It's good to share. It's great to be friends. But you need to share the gospel. Are you hearing me? Okay. I don't want to barbecue any sacred cows here. I'm a fan of friendship. I'm a friend of friendship evangelism. But I just don't want it to get in the way of evangelism, real evangelism. All right. So we need to be more urgent. We need to be more urgent. We can let the Holy Spirit create this in us too, right? The second thing that that we learned from this lesson for today is we need to have a world perspective. The disciples were just fine telling the Jewish people about salvation, about the kingdom of God. That was more than enough for them. People just like them ate the same foods, talked the same. And where would we be? Right? And the Lord says, hey, you know, broaden your vision. See people that are different colors. See people that are outside of your normal circle. And, uh, and let's be intentional about being multicultural. Okay? That's our second lesson for us. We also need good, effective methods. Jesus changed the methods up. You know, with the 12, when you're in one region, you're doing one thing. When you're in another region, you're doing something else. That's a good way to go. Methods are kind of not as important. The, the message stays the same. The methods can change, right? And that we need to be intentional about expanding from reaching our neighborhood and our cities to reaching our world. This takes intentionalness. Is that a word? Because it won't happen naturally. We see the needs of the people right near us, right? But we don't think about the Yanomamo very often. Admit it. Right? It just doesn't happen. They don't come up in conversation regularly. So we have to constantly remind ourselves, oh yeah, you know, unreached peoples, 
other nations. Let's do something different this year. Let's not just go to Mexico. Let's take it further. Let, let's go someplace else. Let's stretch ourselves and, and have a world vision. I want to... Can I do this? Can I pray for you guys? Okay. I want to pray for you guys this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for my Northgate family. Thank you for the bond that we have in you. Thank you that you have called them out to be a really special light in this community, Lord, in the East Bay. And, and I pray that as each of us bring our hearts to you, that you would stir us, Lord, to step it up, step up our commitment to you, to missions, and see what we can do to, to reach our world, Lord. We want to make a difference. Create this sense of urgency in each of our spirits, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.